talking about doctrines today, and this is one of the most important doctrines we're going to study, the doctrine of salvation. We've got to understand what it means, and most of us, we, we can explain this to most people, but as we look at this, there's some verses in here, and there's some extra verses I put on here so that you can look at them later. The five points at the very bottom, we're not even going to go over, and so we're going to go over the two, the two top parts that, are, that have the, the blanks in them. So let's go ahead and just turn to, uh, you, you don't need to turn to it, but just go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, and it says this, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Amen. As you look at 1 John chapter 5, the four words that are on there are very important, that you may know. A lot of people don't know a lot of things, but I can tell you this, I know that I have eternal security, and I understand what salvation is. It's not, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it doesn't say that you might know, you could know. It says you may know. This is that the things that I've written that believe on the name of the Son of God. That's all that it's about. And we've got to make sure we understand that we may know that we have eternal life. The verse says this, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. That's what salvation's all about. Believing on who He is. Believing on who He is. And so let's break this down. And there's three parts to this salvation um, decision in three steps. Did you get a, a note? Did you get any notes? Can we pass those to her? Can we get a note over there to her so she can follow along with us as we go through this? Good to have visitors here tonight, amen? And so as you look at this, salvation decisions are in three steps. Let's look at this really quick. The first one is this, knowledge, acknowledge your lost and sinful condition. Go ahead and write those in there, acknowledge your lost and sinful condition. I don't know if you've had, ever had the privilege of talking to somebody about their salvation, and everybody should have done that sometime in their life, but it amazes me how many times some people will say, I've never done anything wrong. Really? Because I battle with this flesh all the time. And I've got the Holy Spirit indwelling me, and, and all of a sudden, you're telling me that you've never done anything wrong? They've got to understand that they have a sinful condition. They've got to be lost before they can be found. Amen. That's a little statement that, that I've heard people say. But we've got to understand that they're, they're lost and they have a sinful condition. And this condition is not going to get any better as they progress. Amen. The only way it's going to get better is if Jesus Christ comes in and they accept him. So the first thing they must understand <clears throat> that, that, that they acknowledge their lost and sinful condition. Look at some of these verses that I put down there. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, And as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It's interesting. Who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. If there's anybody that was a good Christian, it was him. I'd probably say other than Christ himself, I would say he's probably the best Christian to ever walked the earth. As, as I studied, I just, I just see some amazing things with him. But he's also the one that said he was a chief among sinners. He was the one that did things wrong. He, he would say, man, I, 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 the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I should do, I don't do. And so here he's writing this, and he says, in the Romans road, it says, as is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. What does that mean? That no one can work their way to heaven. No one can be good enough to get to heaven. We're all sinful people. You see it as a young age. How many of you ever had a child that when they were a baby, they cried for no reason? Sometimes I cry for no reason, amen? But I know why a baby cries. Why does a baby cry? He wants your attention. You know when the crying happens, what is it? Oh, man, come look at me. 
And there's been times when I know my kids have done dead wrong things, and then they give you the look or they say something that's funny, and you have to walk out of the room and come back in and then make sure the discipline's taken care of because you sit there and go, that's funny, but you just lied to me. And, and, and it's, it's amazing to me as we look. Everybody is a sinner. Go to the next verse. It says, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, for all sin and come short of the glory of God. Because we have this sin in our life, we can't make it to heaven. We're short of that glory of God. And this is talking about heaven. We can't see God in heaven because we're short. We can't make it. Our sin is there, and it makes us fall short of that goal. Then there's a verse on this that says, Ecclesiastes 7.20. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says this, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Now remember, I just talked to you about Paul wrote Romans, but who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon. And he was known for wisdom. And he says, listen, there's no right... Here's the king saying this. There's none, no one on this earth is perfect. And of course, he had not found... Christ had not came to the earth because this is the Old Testament. But as we look at this, we've got to understand Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, that not of, there's no way we can get, our, get ourselves to heaven. Not of works lest any man should boast. So we fall short, we can't work our way to heaven. Look at this, it says, Each person inherited this sinful condition from Adam. From Adam. Let's turn to some of these verses. I, I, I wasn't going to turn to all these, but there's some verses I want you to see. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this. These are talking about... Um, bringing up the name of Adam. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. This, as, one man, as by one man sin entered the world, who's he referring to? He's referring to Adam. Let's go over to the other one. It says in Psalm 51, 5, Psalm 51, 5, says in Psalm 51, 5, all my pages are sticking together. Psalm 51.5 says this. It says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It's talking about sin started with Adam. Sin started with Adam. And then the next one says, It is repentance that manifests a sorrow for sin. A lot of people, you'll hear some people say, You don't need to have repentance for salvation. Yes, you do. You have to have repentance for salvation. Because you're repenting about who you are. Go back to this first point. It says, acknowledge that you're lost in a sinful condition. If you don't have repentance over that, you're not lost in a sinful condition. You say, well, I know of little kids that have gotten saved because they understand they've done something wrong. Now, their sins are not going to be even close to what our sins are. But they're still sins. You know the problem with us? is We put categories on sin. We do. Have you ever ha had somebody that you know that believed they could lose their salvation? Didn't believe in eternal security. I, I know some people like that. I, I have a relative that believes that. And what do they do? It's all that category. Amen. And we all know the categories. We don't want to say them, but murder is one of them. A sexual sin is another one. And, and, and sometimes it's robbery or, or theft is as long as it's a high-ticket item. 
I can remember one time when I was little, I didn't mean to, but I took a pack of gum and put it in my pocket, and I was walking around the store, and I walked out with it. When I showed my mom that gum, she's like, where'd you get that, son? And then I had to think, I think, oh, I took it out of the store. You know, I thank the Lord for my mother. Because I know some moms go, oh, we'll just pay them back later. Just go ahead. She took me, marched me back, and made me apologize to the manager. And the manager was looking at me like, and, and the manager, I think, was more scared of my mother than me stealing her, his pack of gum. And, and I thought she was going to make me work for him the rest of my life, the way she was talking. Can I tell you this? The next time I walked in that store, I never thought about taking anything out. I didn't mean to, but I was going to make sure I didn't put anything in my pocket. We've got to get to understanding that sometimes when we do this, it, it is repentance that manifests a sorrow for sin. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Check those verses out. Study those verses. We need repentance for salvation. So the second part is this. So you have acknowledged you're lost in a sinful condition. The second one is believe that Christ paid sin's price for you and took the penalty of, the de- of your death upon himself. I'll read that one more time. Believe that Christ paid sin's price for you and took the penalty of your death upon himself. Wow. And you just think about what he's done for you. Was Jesus falsely accused? Yes. He was falsely accused of sins he did not, he did not commit. Amen. But no one stood for him. How many of you ever had the privilege of going to a court system and watching as the process goes? A lot of times they'll, they'll pull, the police officers have, um, they'll pull out character witnesses. He had none. But he had the biggest character of anybody that's ever walked the face of this earth. If we were on trial for our sin, I guarantee you everybody in this room could find some good character witness for yourself. And they would probably stand for you, depending on what you were going to the the court system for. But as as I look at this, I just think, man, God did all these things for me. He paid the price for my debt that I could never pay. I can't work my, way to, work my way to heaven. I just can't do it. You can't do it. Amen. Can you imagine how the letdown it would be if you could work your way to heaven? It's, it, it's very interesting. When I was out in California, we would take them, we would take the youth, um, we'd have a youth conference and we'd have all these kids and we'd take them to an amusement park. And... Um, and so we would go to a nice amusement park, just very similar. I think it was, Carowinds was a sister park. So we'd go and we'd take them. Well, the guy behind me as a youth pastor thought, I'm going to save some money. And I'm going to take them to a different amusement park. He found out about another amusement park and he went and he bought tickets for it and he took the teenagers there. The problem was he didn't go and check it out. He didn't know what he was going to get into. The park that he took the kids to was for little, little, teen, little um, elementary kids. He brought 1,400 kids to that park, amen. Most of them couldn't ride any ride unless you were short and you were in junior high, you could ride them. He didn't figure out the payment that he paid. It didn't equivalent to what he needed. 
it fell short. And all I could do is I sat back and go, thank God I didn't do that. We don't realize how much we fall short. And we don't exactly understand how great He is. Let's just face it, we have no one to compare Him to. There's no comparison to Him. He didn't do anything wrong. You just got to acknowledge that He paid your debt. And I'm talking to the choir here right now, because I'm, I'm expecting everybody in this room probably is a saved person. But you've got to understand your sinful state, and you've also got to understand who can get you to heaven because you can't. This is the doctrine of salvation, and the doctrine of salvation is found all the way through the Bible. Paul writes a lot of it. In fact, we call it the Romans Road, so many things he talks about um, salvation. Let's turn to another verse. In fact, it says, Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. Death means separation from God. We can't be there. We can't be with Him. But praise the Lord for the, for the conjunction here. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one that settled it all. Go to Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. It says this. Romans 5, 8 and 9. It says, But God committed His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This shows you how much He cares in verse number 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. You know why I know I'm going to see my mother when I pass away? Because I know she knew the Scriptures and I, knew she, I know she knows, knew the Savior. I have hope in knowing that. And so we've got to get back to understanding. The first one, acknowledge your loss and sinful condition. The second one, believe that Christ... Um, Christ paid sin's price for you and took the penalty of your death upon himself. And the last one is this, very simple. Call upon Jesus Christ. It's not got anything to do with me. It's got anything got to do with you. And you don't have to do the, sinful, the sinner's prayer. There's many ways I've heard people say, I didn't even know what the sinner's prayer was, but I just asked Christ. I knew what I, who I was, where I was going, and I knew he was the only way I could get there. That's why Jesus talks to his disciples. He says, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You have to go through, through the cross. You have to go through who Christ is. You have to go through the resurrection. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but as we look at these, look at verse number 9. It says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's interesting, right in the middle of it, he talks about the, the Greek and the Roman. Because the Romans thought they were somebody, and the Greeks thought they were somebody. And God died, died for the Gentile, and he died for the Jew. Thank the Lord for that. So the first one is acknowledge your loss of sinful condition. The second one, believe that Christ paid sin's price for you and took the penalty of your death upon himself. And the third thing that one must do for salvation is call upon Jesus Christ. Now salvation produces four new aspects of life for us. When you became a Christian, something happened. And there's some things that you get with that salvation. Nothing that you can work for, it's everything that he gives you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. We have all had 
that, that situation where we found someone that was terrible, they got Christ and they changed totally. We were talking about this at, at Brookdale when we were over there. We talked about the maniac of Gadara. Here's a man that lived in the, in the grave, lived in the, in the graveyard. Can you imagine someone living in a graveyard? And, and, and he would, he would, they would shackle him. They would try to control him. He'd run around with no clothes on. And then when Jesus came, he said he had legions in him, thousands of demons in him. They ran off into the, they ran off into the swine. They were, they, the, the swine were ran into the water. The, 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 the swine died. And the next time they come back, here is a man that has changed everything. He is sitting down. The Bible says he is talking in his right mind. He is clothed. He's not the same person. Can I tell you this? God changes people. He changed you. There's some aspects in here that we need to see. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We don't realize what we have until we have it. We've got to understand what God gives us. Look at these four things and we'll be done. First of all, salvation produces a new desire. A new desire. It changes everything, folks. I'm telling you. And you know it. How many of you have a lost relative? I know I do. And all I can think of, the word I would tell about my relatives is rascal. You just never know what this person's going to do. You, you, you don't see Christ in this person. You're scared to death of what this person might say or do. But God can change everything. When you, become a, when you become a Christian, salvation produces a new desire. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking as newborn babes. Now watch this. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. We've got to get where we grow. We've got to understand that there's a new desire with this. Now here's six, here's, um, six points that the desire that you have. Number one, for the Word. When you have salvation, you want to read His Word. You just, you just understood that God loves you enough to send His Son? Then you need to read His Word. His word has something for you. You have a desire for that. I remember when I was dating my wife, she'd write me notes. And when she'd write me notes, guess what? I'd like to read them. Our college had something called night mail. It's been a long time since I thought about that. And at night mail, you know what? I'd write her a note and she'd write me a note. If I didn't get a note from her, I would think, what did I do wrong? I'd spray my cologne on my, on my, I can't imagine what the people that delivered that mail smelled like when they got all done. You have 300 students writing love letters to each other and they all smell. Probably didn't smell like my cologne by the time it got there. But you know, if, if she woke up the next morning and, and I had written her a real mushy letter and she'd written me a real mushy letter, and, but I didn't read it. And she came up to me and she had some big announcement in that letter and she walked up to me and said, what did you think of that letter? And I'd say, I got it. It smelled great, but I didn't read it. I just smelled it. 
What do you think her reaction would be to me? We're going to talk later. Maybe we won't talk at all. We've got to get back to understanding salvation produces a new desire for the word. Letter B. You look up Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 on that. The second one is B for prayer. All of a sudden there's a new desire to talk to the Lord. Don't, don't confuse yourself with this. People that are not saved, they're looking for something. If you watch these people that are in sports or in Hollywood, you know what they normally do? They start a foundation with their name in it. Because they want to make their mark somewhere. They're trying to fulfill this thing, that, that this desire that they have to a higher being. But it, with us, we already have it, and our new desire is not only for the Word, but it's also to talk to Him. And He just, he just doesn't want to talk to you about your food. Meaning you don't just pray three times a day. He wants to talk to you dur during the day. He wants to talk to you at night. He wants to talk to you in the morning. You have a new desire for that. The next one, letter C. You have a new desire for fellowship. For fellowship. Let me read 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. First John chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, it says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We have a new fellowship. We have a new friend. Letter D. Not only for, word, for, for the word, for prayer, for fellowship, but for growth. Someone were to leave the area. How old is Landon? Four. Someone were to leave the area and Landon's four and they come back 12 years later and he's 16. He's still the same height. About ready to get his driver's license. What do you think people would say? Their jaw would drop open and say, what in the world happened to that child? And, and then you'd have to put blocks on, his, on your car for him to drive and you'd have to put the put, let him sit on, a, on some seats, on some pillows. I'll never forget, when I, how many of you remember your driver's ed when you took driver's ed? I took driver's ed and my driver's ed teacher was 6 foot 11. He was my basketball coach. His name was Mr. Samples. He played for the Washington Generals. I don't know if you know who that is. It's the team that always loses. It's the team that always plays the, uh, the Globetrotters. And we had a bench seat. He loved it when I drove. I was almost six foot tall at that time. But we had a girl in our group that was four foot eleven. I'll never forget that. She put four pillows underneath her, three pillows behind her. She would push the seat all the way, and he would look like his face was in the windshield. She would only drive for about four or five miles. He'd say, you need to get over, and we need to let somebody else drive. And she'd go, what am I doing? She was the kind of bubbly person. What am I doing wrong? Nothing, you're doing wrong, but you don't have any legs to drive this vehicle. If, if Landon did not grow, guess what? We'd take him to every specialist we could. We'd find out what was going on. The Bible says this, in the growth situation, we need to grow, and we, ha we have a desire for the growth. So the, the ne next letter is E. And this is found in Colossians 1, 25 through 28. This is for preaching. The foolishness of preaching. Different application of what the Bible says. Everybody's different. You'll have, we'll have preachers come up here that are totally different than me. 
And there's nothing wrong with Bruce Fry. It's totally different than, than um, Cody Sturgill. We had, we've had Brother... Um, so, what's, what's B-I-M-I? Brother... What? Snyder is different than anybody else. We have Brother Baggett coming in. He's a guy that went to school with me for missions conference. Um, Daniel Bishop's different than anybody else. Amen? Amen. If you're here Wednesday night, he preached Wednesday night. First thing he said, I said, how'd it go? He said, it's all right, we didn't take up an offering. I was like, what does that mean? Is he a Baptist preacher or what? And so, and I had someone say this morning, you need to have him preach more. He does a good job. I was like, thank you very much. Okay. Um, It was his wife. But anyway, um, it's for preaching. So you have, it wasn't his wife. For the word, for prayer. It wasn't my wife either. I'm going to go on record and say that. For, For fellowship, for growth, for preaching. And the last one, for righteousness. You have a desire for righteousness. That's just something God's going to give you. Once you have him in you, the salvation takes over and the Holy Spirit's in there, all of a sudden righteousness. You know the difference between right and wrong. Now, we knew it before, but we didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Now we understand it even more because God is enlightening us, saying, no, you could, there are things that I, didn't, that I didn't think was wrong before I got saved, but once I got saved, I realized it was wrong. Some of it was guilty by association. I would do something and go, okay, no, no, I probably shouldn't do that. Probably shouldn't do that. I'll give you an example. I'm going to just use, um, let me pick on somebody. Brother Moody. Let's say Brother Moody goes in to the convenience store. He likes root, do you like root beer? Oh. Who likes root beer in here? Okay. All right, let me see. Back, raise your hand really quick. All right, I'm going to pick on you, Holly. Holly goes and gets root beer at the convenience store. She gets a A&W root beer, the best kind of root beer because it's named after me and my wife, Ann and Walter. Okay, here we go. And so she gets A&W root beer and she puts it in a brown paper bag. There's nothing wrong with that, right? And so she walks out and she's walking down the street and she's drinking out of that brown paper bag, A&W root beer. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Sure is the appearance of evil, isn't it? Let's say she's walking and she trips and she trips over the sidewalk and Brandon pulls up with his cruiser and sees a lady walking, carrying a bag, a brown paper bag, drinking root beer, and he does something to his cruiser that no one likes. He turns on these two blue lights at the top, pulls her over. And she goes, he goes, I know you go to our church, but I need to see what's in the bag. She said, there's nothing in the bag. Why would he pull her over? It was guilty by association. We've got to watch what we do. There's nothing wrong with a good A&W root beer. It was, how many of you saw the news this week about the little boy that was, had his um, stand trying to raise money and he had more police officers call on him because he had a sign that said, cold beer sold here. But when you got up close to it, the, right above the beer, it said root. Made national news on it. There's nothing wrong with root beer. There is wrong with beer, amen? We've got to understand what God wants us to do. We've got to be very careful. Righteousness needs to be there. Well, you know what we don't want as a Christian? To be a stumbling block. Be a stumbling block. Because when we're a stumbling block, we're making people fall because of who we are. 
And so our desire is that. The next one is salvation produces a new direction. God gives us a new direction. No longer are we going after what we want, we're going out what God wants. This is prominent in tithing. Before I got saved, I didn't think, I'm going to take 10% of whatever I have and just give it to a total stranger. Or I'm going to give it to an organization. But it's a different direction once you become a Christian. Then you realize what the scripture says. Man, I need to give it to my local church. 10%? How many of you before you got saved said, okay, I'm just going to give 10% of my money away. Anybody do that? Maybe for tax purposes, but most people don't do that. But God changes your direction. He turns you about face and says, okay, you need to go my way rather than your way. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says this, For brethren, you have been called into liberty, use not, you only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but, to love, but by love serve one another. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, 15 through 17 says this, it says, See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not wise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. He gives us a new direction. Salvation does that. So the first one is, salvation gives us a new desire. It produces a new desire. It produces a new direction. And the third one is, salvation produces a new strength. You know why? Because you're not by, by yourself anymore. He gives you a new strength. I love that verse, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Here's the verse, everybody knows it. But they that wait upon the Lord, what? Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. When you rely and you wait upon Him, He'll renew your strength. Let's put this in a practical application. Have you ever been in a situation where you have so much to do and little time to do it? You know what I do at that point? I just give it over to the Lord and do one thing at a time. And you go, I just don't know if I'm going to get this done. How many of you already got your, plan, your day planned for tomorrow? You know what you're going to do? God can change that real quick, can he? But you know what? If you've got a bunch on your list, boom, 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 boom. Just do one at a time and move forward. You say, well, I just don't have the strength to get all this done. You can only get what you can get done. But the Bible says when it talks about strength in the Lord, you put your strength in Him, He'll renew your strength. I have a blower that is a, I don't power works, I don't know, and it runs on a battery. And you go out there and you blow everything off, you know, and I've got two, and now I know why they gave you two batteries. Because the first battery will be done in like a minute. So you're running around blowing all the grass off the sidewalk and you're literally running to get it done. Because you're praying that those two batteries work long enough to get them done. I remember my wife was out in California one time and she was going and, and they, ha they had a rule at our, in our ministry, you had to wash your car twice a week. And so she goes and washes our van for me and she gets it all set up and there's bubbles all over it and she realizes she just ran out of money. I'll never forget seeing her drive home and bubbles were blowing off the side of her vehicle. <laughs> we had to hose that thing down because she, did, she, she didn't understand that she didn't have enough money for it. Man, we've got to get back and understand that God has something great for us. He wants us 
to serve Him. And you know what He does? He renews your strength. Right now, some of you are going through some struggles in your life and you go, I don't know if I can handle it. You can't. But you and God can. Because He's the one that will give you strength. If you have a problem with this, here's what you need to do. Read Psalms. Because you'll figure out real quick that He's your buckler, He's your strength, He's your high tower, and you read all these things, you go, man, with God and me, we're a majority. And He's going to give you the strength you can to get through it. We need to understand that God gives us a new strength. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, and He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. Either you believe it or you don't. And I believe His grace is sufficient for me. Then it says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now when you read this verse, it just doesn't make sense. But what God is trying to tell you, don't rely on yourself, rely on me. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. With you and God, you'll go a lot further than just by you by yourself. And when you became a Christian, salvation produced a new strength. So we have salvation produces a new desire, salvation produces a new direction, salvation produces a new strength. And finally, number four, it says salvation produces a new victory. Salvation produces a new victory. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 through 59. But listen to this. Before you became a Christian, you didn't have an out. You just did what your, your body told you to do what your thought process, how you were upright, the way you were raised up, that's just maybe how you acted. You know, some people sometimes get mad when I say, yes ma'am, yes, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir. This church is the first church I've ever been where I call people by their first name. And I still cringe about it a little bit. Because I was taught from the north to say yes. I can remember getting backhanded by my mom if I said yes. Well, but that was, that was confident, but... Yes, sir. Bam. Okay. Yes, sir. I've got, I've got calluses in the back of my head from yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And so we get here, and I've got to call you by your first name. It's hard for me to say Ray. I want to say Brother Adams. Amen. He's my brother, but he is Ray also. And we've got to get back to understanding that God changes everything. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. If there's ever a memory verse that teenagers and young adults need to memorize, it's this verse. Because there's a little, little statement in this verse that everybody needs to know. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. Meaning this, that everybody in this world has the same problem, and it's a sin problem. Watch what it says. It says, But God is faithful. Aren't you thankful for God's faithfulness? Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. In other words, God's not going to let you get in a situation where you can't handle it yourself. You can't handle it with Him. You need Him to help you. But watch this, and if you're underlining anything, this is what you need to underline. But will with that temptation also make these next few words a way to escape. A way to escape. And then it says this, that ye may be able to bear it. Now let's go back and let's understand this victory. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew what was right and you didn't do it. Okay? Remember how you felt? Now watch this. How many times do you knew you were going to do something that might be wrong, but you did what was right? How did you feel? Amen. Something. Yeah, I did it. 
But you know, really it wasn't you that did it. It was God that made a way for you to escape. So when it comes to salvation, there's three easy steps. Acknowledge your loss of sinful condition. Number two, believe that Christ paid sin's price for you and took the penalty of your death upon himself and call upon his name. Call upon Jesus Christ. Salvation produces four new aspects of life for us. Number one, salvation produces a new desire. Thank God I don't have the same desires. Number two, it produces a new direction. Flipped me around and made me go the right direction. Number three, it produces a new strength. Because now you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and God is your, is your compass and he is, he is directing you. He's going to give you the strength to get through this. I can remember before I got saved, if someone said something back to me, you know what I wanted to do? I want to say something back to them. I played basketball in college, and, and I was not a, a nice player in basketball. I had, to, I had to fight for everything. I was 175 pounds soaking wet. Six foot four, I looked like a bean pole. Amen? And, and I had to do everything I possibly could. And I, I, want to th- I thank the Lord that he saved me because some of the things I would do. Everybody in this room, we've done some bad things before we say. But when God comes in, he gives you a new direction. And thank the Lord for it. I am thankful that I don't have to worry about the words that come out of my mouth. There are people in here that got saved out of vulgar mouth. And I am so thankful that God changed even my my direction on what I said. And on on the last one, you know what? He gives you a new victory. We just sang a song, I'm on the winning side. Praise the Lord for that. What are you doing with these four things that you have with salvation? Read the other verses at the very bottom. Make sure you understand that. Five evidences of salvation, a loving life, a chastened life, a changed life, a devotional life, and a soul winning life. These are things that God wants us to do. Can I say this to you? Salvation changes everything. If it wasn't for salvation, where would this church be? That's what, that's what the Christian life is all about. It's about salvation. 